Today's show is sponsored by Datadog. Start monitoring EC2, RDS, ECS, and all your other AWS services in minutes with Datadog. Whether you have 10 instances or 10,000, Datadog automatically tracks hosts as you scale. Visualize metrics, automatically alert on anomalies, and collaborate across teams to quickly troubleshoot issues before they escalate. Give it a try with a free 14-day trial by visiting datadog.com cloudcast, and Datadog will send you a comfy, complimentary t-shirt. That's datadog.com slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody is doing well as we continue to roll through November 2020. Uh, The U.S. elections are, I think, eh, 99% 99% complete. Uh, for the most part, most of the world has, uh, has accepted the results of those, although there are still some stragglers. Um, you know, we talked last week that uh, we, we hopefully would know by this week whether or not we were going to have, you know, continued sort of uh, a little bit of chaos, if you will, or we'd have a little bit of uh, sanity. I think we're, we're moving a little more towards the, the sanity side of the scale, but, uh, you know, still, still a long way to go before we see any sort of real transitions. It was good news. We did see uh, some some interesting news about some vaccines starting to have some very very positive test results. So, you know, we may beginning to see just beginning to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel in terms of this uh, uh, this pandemic. Hopefully, uh, the scientists are doing their job, the doctors are doing their job, and uh, uh, you know, fingers crossed, these uh, these new drugs and vaccines are are going to do their job. So, with that, um, you know. That there was not a lot of tech news this week per se. Uh, you know, Apple had their event, and if you're really into uh, you know consumer Apple MacBooks and chips and so forth, uh, check out Daring Fireball or the folks over at Software Defined Talk like to cover those things. We don't cover a whole lot of that. Uh, there is some new MacBooks, great. I do want to talk about a couple of things here on Cloud News of the Week because it is a little bit of a slower news week. But I thought there was a couple of interesting data points that kind of hit on some trends that we've been highlighting throughout the year and something that we're kind of tracking as we go along. The first one was uh, Microsoft and Datadog announced what uh, they're calling a native integration partnership. So obviously, as you know, if you listen to the show at all, uh, Datadog's been a great partner of ours for a long time, sponsor of the show. Um, But I highlight this one because this is interesting because Datadog has forever been a SaaS offering. Um, They've done very, very well. I've never really had an on-premises offering. Um, And, you know, you you could work with their product, whether your application ran in AWS or Azure or anywhere else. But in essence, it was a Datadog um, sort of service that happened to run on top of those cloud providers, right? And what this really does is, and this is a little bit of a trend that's beginning to happen, that service is now going to become a native part of Azure. And what this means is that it will be in the Azure console, it will be in the Azure GUI, it will be part of Azure billing. And you know we've seen a couple of these things happen. Uh, so my company, Red Hat, has done this with uh, with our OpenShift offering. It's called Azure Red Hat OpenShift. Um, there are a few others in there. Um, VMware has sort of a relationship with Azure that's sort of similar to this. But I think we're going to begin to see this trend where more and more of the, some of the software or SaaS services, um, you know, whatever the, the delivery vector is, start to become native in these cloud providers. And I think we'll begin to see this more and more in 2021. Uh, people like the core technology, but they want it to be part of the billing mechanism or the IDM mechanism or, or whatever it is that's a little close, more closely tied to those cloud providers. It doesn't mean that you can't use the technology in other cloud providers as well, but uh, we are seeing a little more of this happen. So interesting to see that happen uh, last week. 
The second one that I thought was interesting was Snowflake launched Snowflake Ventures. And uh, this is not unusual. So as companies get bigger, uh, their stock does well. Um, they have cash that gets thrown off in the business. Um, they're looking for ways to not only acquire companies over time, which lots of companies do, but they also become their own investment arm. So obviously, a company like Snowflake, who has such a foundational technology in data that runs across lots of clouds, we're beginning to see other companies start to build natively on top of Snowflake. We talked about uh, Observe, who you know our friend Jeremy Burton, uh, CEO over at, you know, building on top of Snowflake. I think we'll see other companies doing that as well. Uh, so in essence, thinking about that part of the stack is somewhat solved in the cloud. Uh, companies will build on top of this, and it allows Snowflake to begin going and making investments in those companies. So you know, kind of. Uh, becoming a VC uh, as well as being a vendor as well. So also an interesting thing, I think um, Snowflake's in an interesting position. At some point, we will get them on to, to deep dive a little bit more about their technologies. Um, but you know, just a couple of more data points around these trends that we're beginning to see where some of the cloud native technologies, um, only cloud technologies are becoming more prevalent um, and also cloud natively integrated technologies becoming more prevalent. So with that, we're going to wrap it up and we're going to have an interesting conversation, a topic we haven't talked about in a while, but is always uh, you know very, very relevant because it has a ton of gravity in enterprises. We're going to talk a little bit about how we get SAP into the cloud or the transition from SAP on-premises into the cloud and how that's evolved over the last few years. So we're going to get to that right after the break. Today's show is sponsored by Fauna. Fauna is the data API for modern applications. As application architectures evolve to embrace cloud APIs and microservices, you need a database that is always correct, always fast, and always secure. But you don't want to spend valuable time managing your database. Fauna modernizes your OLTP infrastructure by providing a 100% operations-free database without compromising on the capabilities needed for building industrial-grade enterprise applications. Whether you're building new microservices or augmenting existing services applications, FaunaDB lets you simplify code, reduce costs, and ship faster. Fauna is a Jepson-verified, globally distributed OLTP database delivered as an API that works with the programming language of your choice. To learn more, visit fauna.com slash cloudcast to try it for free. That's F-A-U-N-A dot com forward slash cloudcast to learn more and try it for free. Today's show is sponsored by Cloud Academy. Listen up, y'all. This is a great offer. With everyone using the same cloud platforms, winning and losing comes down to having the best talent to build products better and faster. Cloud Academy is the training platform of choice for Fortune 500 companies and thousands of tech professionals around the world. Thousands of video courses, learning paths, practical hands-on labs in real-world cloud environments, Cloud Academy has tools designed to help teams assess, build, and validate critical cloud skills. Most importantly, Cloud Academy stays agile, challenging you with new content, labs, and tons of features that ensure your skills stay relevant and everyone can level up. They cover everything from cloud certifications to DevOps to security to programming languages. You can get started now at cloudacademy.com. For a limited time, Cloudcast listeners can lock in 50% off the monthly price for life. Just put in the coupon code CLOUDCAST at checkout. It's a great way to pursue certifications or just build cloud expertise. Again, that's cloudacademy.com and use the coupon code CLOUDCAST to lock in 50% off the monthly price. And we're back. And folks, you know, while we talk a lot about, you know, what is happening in cloud native and something that might be totally brand new, at the end of the day, you know, we tend to focus very much on you know, enterprise technologies, things that companies are using to make their business better, whether they're mid-sized businesses, large businesses, government businesses around the world. And one of the topics that we don't talk a lot about, but really is a huge part of many, many companies' business from a technology perspective is SAP. 
And, you know, we've seen over the years, uh, you know, I had some experience working kind of directly with some of that, but we've seen more and more SAP begin to move to the cloud in different forms and fashions. And we thought we really should come back to that and really kind of dig into what's going on in that world. We haven't touched on it in a couple of years. And so very excited to have Eamon O'Neill, who is founder and executive vice president at Lemongrass Cloud. Eamon, welcome to the show. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So the world of SAP has uh, has really evolved a lot, um, you know, over the last, I'll say 10 years. It's evolved a lot over the last, you know, 20 plus years. But before we dive into that, because um, that's, you know, an area that you focus a ton on, give us a little bit about your background, you know, kind of what got you interested in this space, involved with the space, and then obviously what led you to, to go start and lead uh, Lemongrass. Sure. Um, well, yeah, I started uh, in the SEP space back in the early 90s. Um, so I've been around for quite a while. Um, and, you know, throughout that whole experience, uh, it was quite clear to me that there were always opportunities to run SEP projects more quickly, more more cheaply, and ultimately get to value more quickly. That was always the, the thing that drove me. And uh, when we started Lemongrass uh, back in 2008, um, the objective was really more of that, was how can we bring technologies, other technologies, to SAP customers in a way that they could get the value quicker. Um, at that time, was there were quite a few uh, nascent ideas, if you like, in the market. I mean, mobile was quite prevalent. Enterprise mobile was certainly considered a, a potential uh big impact area. Identity management was something else we looked at. And this new word cloud was being kicked around as well back in 2008. So we sort of worked with all three to try and figure out what had the most legs fundamentally. Sure. But within a couple of years, it was pretty pretty quick. Uh, we began to recognize that the potential of cloud was a lot more than what we understood it to be back then, which is just effectively low cost infrastructure. Right. Uh, we began to recognize the automation opportunities of cloud were actually way more valuable than the necessary use the price point. And at that stage as well, AWS, Amazon Web Services, were actually the only ones who were really defining cloud in, in that direction, right. uh, you know, fully automated, uh, as well as obviously price leaders. So it was around that time, 2010 or so, we began to, as it were, bet the shop on, on AWS. Uh, and while it was a very, uh, uh, we still had a lot of SAP customers quite puzzled at the idea that you would put something as important as an SAP system on public infrastructure. Uh, we really believed in it, and we really thought that this would be inevitable. Um, so... So that's fundamentally how we got into into the area, and uh, you know, and that's and it's still what we do today. Yeah, yeah. S- SAP has been, as I said, you know, it's been an interesting company to watch. The whole ecosystem around it's been been very interesting. I know, probably a decade or so ago, I, I was sort of loosely involved with that community. I was down in Orlando for their event. They were launching HANA, which was this, you know, massive bet on a next generation, super scalable database. And, you know, that was the that was the focus of it. It was, uh, you know, it was their their founder talking about it. And since then, 
you know, that's obviously still a big focus, but they've made just a ton of acquisitions, right? A lot of a lot of things in SaaS, you know, so things like success factors and concur and hipmunk and qualtrics and and it's gotten beyond just sort of what what the ERP does. You know, if, if somebody was sort of going like, hey, what is SAP anymore, right? You know, we, we knew them as the ERP company, but now they're not just on-prem, they're SaaS, they're other things. Like, what is their relationship with customers and, and you know, how do you, how do you see that sort of evolving? Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting period uh, for SAP the last 10 years or so. I think, first off, ERP is still critical. It's sure. still the number one product in their suite. and. Yeah. And it always will be, both in the eyes of SAP and the customers. I think SAP, of course, had to demonstrate some sort of commitment to SaaS uh, and a SaaS strategy. Uh, there's no doubt, you know, people like uh, Salesforce and ServiceNow were demonstrating you know, what SaaS really meant. Um, and SAP, of course, you know, being technology leaders, had to demonstrate to their shareholders as well. Well, what does that really mean for them? So a lot of these were best of breed products that were in the market. SAP, uh, you know, clearly saw value, which was clearly there, but but the SAP was never really impacted, or the ERP systems were never really impacted by those acquisitions. They were, you know, in many ways bolt-ons mm-hmm. uh, to uh, you know extending the footprint of your like of SAP within a customer landscape. Um, and with ERP, SAP had a a real kind of head scratcher <laughs> challenge because. On one hand, the obvious thing to do is, well, just turn into a SaaS offering. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it was incredibly, it's incredibly difficult to do that. Um, yeah, they're so customized. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, the very thing that uh, customers love about SAP's ERP solution is that it's extendable, mm-hmm. very extendable. And pretty much every customer who implements the ERP solution has done that. And they've done it to great value. I mean, it gets... Of course, it gets a bad name when you customize something because of the cost of maintenance of that thing, but but you can't uh, forget the value it adds. Right. So, so when you look at a large enterprise, they will have thousands of modifications that, you know, at the time certainly of implementation, all made sense, all would have been justifiable, and all which still work today. But but when you try to bring that into a multi-tenant environment, you've got a real conundrum. So you either have to um, you know, remove uh, all of that customization and move into something that's much more simplified and templated, or you have to re-architect pretty much entirely the way that ERP solution works. Um, now, both of those are almost like almost so far away from the install base of SAP today that it's a very, very difficult proposition to get to. So what we see is, you know, when, and this is one of the really interesting discussions we're seeing today with customers is that when they look at what they do next with the ERP solution, you know, if they look at SAP generally, of course, there's those SaaS offerings which we talked about are pretty obvious things that they can move to. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the ERP, the core system, the thing that really runs their business, you know, they've got a lot of options on the table today, possibly too many options. And this is one of the questions is, so they can run ECC today on their Oracle DB or SQL Server. They can move to ECC on HANA, uh, which they can is supported, and they can run that. They can switch to S4 on premise. They can switch to S4 on Hyperscaler. They can run an S4 single-tenant SaaS, or they can run an S4 multi-tenant SaaS. Um, 
of course, each one of those has got pros and cons. But in a, you know, when a customer who's been an SAP customer for 30 years, every couple of years, it was a very simple version upgrade. Yep. Now they're looking at potentially six different uh, next steps that they should be considering. So I think that's one of the challenges customers have is, what am I meant to do with the RP next? And one of the things that we've been working with customers on is, well, how do you get a roadmap to S4, not just in a in a time frame that, that makes sense for your business, but on an architecture that's future-proof, but also won't leave you in a cul-de-sac somewhere uh, with you know unmanageable code sets. Right. Right. So, yeah, well, so really, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting challenge for customers at the minute. Yeah, and 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 ERP systems and SAP systems were always the place where you know CIOs either made their career or you know they did something for a long time and then just sort of went away because the thing got so unruly and they couldn't deal with it anymore. <laughs> so it's uh, you know sort of a oh, sort of a make or break thing. So yeah, if, if if the path forward is six different options, I can imagine the question they all ask is, well, that's great, but like which one's going to be successful, right? Which, which one's not going to break the bank? Which one's actually going to be successful? That, you know, maybe like you said, too many options. So I want to focus a little bit about on, on what you're, you're doing on a day-to-day basis. Lemongrass is, you know, focused on getting SAP into the cloud, um, helping customers with that migration and, and the, the evolution that goes along with it. So like, what's the, what's the driver? What do you find is the biggest driver for people to say, Hey, you know, step one, we're open to this idea of, of moving things to the cloud, right? Is it just the technology's updated, we want to update, or are there, there tend to be certain business drivers that are the, the motivator to, to not only think about it, but then engage with, with Lemongrass? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a bit of both, of course. There's always a mix, I guess. Uh, I think uh, what we tend to see is uh, the, the reasons people move to cloud um, you know, should of course reflect the benefits they're trying to achieve, right? That that's sort of should be a one-to-one match. Um, you know, and the and what we try to do is phrase that in a I think again back to what customers are, are actually wrestling with is what are my selection criteria? Like what should I how do I evaluate what I'm meant to do here? And you know, what cloud should I move to as well? So so what we we, we show customers is well what are the benefits other people have achieved mm-hmm. and because what we we do recognize if you haven't used cloud much and i specifically talk about IaaS, you know like aws or or, or competitor uh, equivalents um if you haven't used it much it's actually it, it can actually be confusing sure and there are, and there are things that sometimes you have to just use it for a while to to actually understand it simple as that right. and so what we try to do is show, look, you need to look at what other people have learned and, and try to uh, arrange your selection criteria. And, and we boil it down to four areas, right? Four key areas. So one is, you know, business case, right? The obvious costs. Um, nothing happens in an enterprise without a decent business case, of course. Right. So people expect to see cost reductions. And of course, we do see that and uh, anywhere from 40 to 70% cost savings. So there's some material savings that can be achieved you know really quickly it becomes even in itself it's a bit of a no-brainer that in itself is a large reason why customers you know especially today are looking at hyperscaler going why aren't we doing this Mm -hmm. but one of the things i I kind of tell them about as well is look there's a couple of things you need to bear in mind when you're looking at pricing Uh, one is um 
this is variable pricing. This is pay as you go, uh, which is really great uh, if you know how to manage it. Right. If you don't know how to manage it, you can get some surprises. So there's a whole new discipline called, uh, we call it FinOps or financial operations, mm -hmm. uh, of, of how you manage a large variable spend. Uh, so, you know, every time, you know, you build a new system and, and the, as techies, we all call that provisioning a system. Well, actually, it's not, you're actually procuring more hardware. Mm -hmm. So procurement is involved in every single uh, technical step that you're executing. That's a brand new way of working for IT. So FinOps becomes really important um, as part of your business case. You need to understand that. So you need to ensure you've got the right tools and, and processes to support that. And the second point I make is in this day and age where there's real comp competition between the hyperscalers, uh, of course there's discounts, of course people are trying to outprice each other. And one of the things I, I, I said to customers is just be careful about discounts today vanishing tomorrow. And and what you really got to look at is this is a long-term bet. This is not a two-year or three-year bet. You, you're there should be no reason why you want to move away from that cloud, um, provided they're doing a decent job. Um, and you've got to look at the pricing history and the pricing culture of the provider to really understand where you're going to be in five years' time. Uh, so the culture of the company that you're buying from is really important. And uh, we say to customers, you know, that's where for us, AWS and Amazon generally have, have, have demonstrated that sort of customer obsession they have where they understand the importance of low price to a long-term relationship. So, you know, business case is, is definitely important. It's it's certainly the first topic of conversation we, we tend to have when customers are asking. But very quickly afterwards, operational excellence. People expect things to run better today on cloud, which is really interesting because when we started our journey, it was always the opposite. We had to explain why it would be faster, why it had better capacity, why it was more secure, but today, that's the expectation, that all of the things will be better. And of course, they are better, right? But but again, it comes down to management of that. So um, what we find is if you just do the same things on a hyperscaler as you do on-premise, in effect, build like a data center in the sky, you're not really going to get much better outcomes because you the, the, the problems with operations come from mistakes, from my, and that mistakes come from manual activity. So the key here is for operational excellence to really work, you've got to automate. So automation suddenly now becomes the the key enabler of operational excellence. So high quality builds. And for lots of enterprises, that's what they really want to see. Reliable, high quality builds that are consistent across all the environments and that they know that when they say they're going to make a change, that exact change is what happens. And the consequence of automation, of course, is that things get done quicker. So you, you immediately get agility. So rather than what we see in the SCP world as some very long uh, lag times between a request and delivery, with things like, for example, you know, give me a copy of production. I want to try something out. Very co common request in the world of SCP. Some companies can take two weeks to provide that, whereas with uh, an automated solution on AWS, that could be done in a matter of hours, and it could be self-service. So you can do it yourself rather than waiting for somebody else. And the big reason why agility is important 
is that it underpins innovation. So if you're able to try something yourself quickly and disposably, in other words, when you finish with that copy of production, you can then delete the system, stop paying for it. That's called feeling fast. And feeling fast is a key component to be able to try out ideas and to be able to innovate. So in, a, in an area where uh, innovation can be difficult because as we said earlier, CIOs are so protective about SEP and ERP specifically. Uh, it's If it's difficult to, to try out things, it's difficult to innovate. So we try to ch- turn it on its head and say, we can make this a source of innovation rather than a blocker for innovation by having flexible infrastructure. And then what you can do, and this is the real golden nugget for us, and, and we see customers beginning to achieve this after running SEP on cloud for a while is then you can start to hook your SEP systems into some of the more modern services that are available from AWS natively or from other providers or from SEP with our SEP cloud platform. And you can start to extend your business processes, you can extend your business data into additional services. Now there's real value in that. And there's brand new use cases that people haven't even thought of yet today. So connecting voice to SEP AI, chatbotting. I mean, there's a whole range of capabilities that are now very mature in the cloud world that SAP customers have really never even tried because it seems too difficult. Yeah. So, so we said to customers, look, when you're thinking about what if you should move and where you should move to, have a look at these criteria. Have a look at what we what you really want to try and achieve, and then let let that be your guide. To what to do next yeah no it, it it is interesting to sort of uh you know kind of hear the kind of the pace like you, i mean like you said so many of these things that sap um customers admins experts never really you know wasn't part of their world right this whole idea of like you know infrastructure that might go away or you know experimentation or you know on-demand pricing you know like those things just weren't relevant to their world, but like you said, if you put them in the right context, they may start to open up some some new doors that you know they were just like, wow, I, I never knew I could do those things. I, I'm curious, you know, you talked a little bit about some of these things that now start to get added on um, as they get familiar with the cloud and so forth. Um, one of the things that I, I you know, I, I saw that that you guys put together, and I always like when people uh, sort of lay out nice sort of journeys? What are typical journeys that people make from, you know, the earliest baby steps to more sophisticated things? Um, you talked a little bit about things like FinOps. Um, you know, you talked about add-ons. Where do you, you know, like, where do you find people, how do they adopt these journeys? Um, I, I guess the, the thing that I'm sort of trying to get at is, do they tend to sort of follow it as, you know, crawl, walk, run, and follow the the four or five steps? Or do you find that it's like, we did the baby step and then immediately they want to add, you know, something like chatbots or the voice integration because there's got to be that that thing that grabs somebody's attention and, and sort of show like how do you tend to find most customers work through their journey from what they used to do to now being in the cloud and, and the opportunities that opens up? Yeah, I think yeah, you're right. The 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 journeys themselves can be obviously can be a little different sure. from customer to customer, but but certainly what we see, you know, post migration, right? So obviously everybody starts with well, pretty much everybody starts the cloud journey with a migration, um, 
and there's always a little bit of nervousness. Okay, let's stabilize everything. But but honestly, it's it's amazing how quickly that can happen. Mm-hmm. The stabilization. It's rare that you need more than a few days to to, to iron out any stabilization issues, because the infrastructure is so good. Mm-hmm. And there's it's so easy to refresh it if you're unlucky enough to have something that's slightly odd. So you know that that capability uh, is is a bit of an eye opener for customers when they start seeing, you know immediately they start to see that agility even on stabilization but you know once you're through the um the first phase of migration uh, what we see customers wanting to do is you know try to improve that operations i mentioned it's a very obvious thing to do it nearly always starts with finance Mm. you know they start because there's always a sense that oh i can get more capacity therefore give me more capacity if i need it um, and then we're trying to ensure that they understand, okay, well, you know, as part of your FinOps process, now you you now have to not only pay for it, but you should also consider switching it off when you're finished with it. Mm-hmm. So what starts to update? What, what are the up-down window times? And that begins uh, to change. It has to ripple through the not just the, the infrastructure team, but uh, through the rest of the IT team and even their change control boards so that they start to recognize Oh, we need to start asking different questions of the business users now. It's not a matter of just give me more. It's well, yeah, we can give you more, but let's shape it to be optimal. Um, so there's a little bit of time for FinOps to really flow through. Um, SecOps becomes really important as well. Certainly, as customers learn more about cloud, um, and they may be ahead of the SAP project, uh, or they may SAP project might be the first experience of of IaaS, and the security. Uh, controls are, and the processes and the ability to be flexible with security can be challenging for some people. Uh, so we, we often see, certainly in larger companies, that the, this, the security team, because they may not understand how some of this is meant to work, are the, are the people keeping everyone's, everyone else back. And security needs to learn to run as fast as everybody else. Otherwise, you end up with, uh, you lose a lot of agility. So getting SecOps into more of an automated fashion is a, is often a challenge as well. So you tend to work a little bit on the ops side of things, getting that out of the way. But from an actual value-add point of view, um, we often see people look at data first um, because it's, it's actually a very easy one to knock, knock in, is getting data from SAP into something like S3 from AWS is such a simple thing to do and you can even fill out the metadata catalog in Glue, which is the way they would do the metadata mm-hmm. for a data lake. And you can generate a data lake in a matter of days uh, that's getting fed from SAP. You can start to mix that data with publicly sourced data sources. Uh, so we saw one example uh, with a, a large brewing company and they mixed their, their manufacturing data from SAP from around the world with weather data uh, that was publicly available, and they had some data scientists then run some uh, Hadoop uh, clusters uh, with some ML models that they'd built to try and identify if they could spot any waste avoidance patterns. Mm-hmm. And they noticed that if it rained, historically, if it, if it rained, I think it was somewhere between week seven and week 10 of the barley growing cycle that they, they recognized from the weather data that it would produce their own colored beer. Hmm. And that, that beer would be wasted. Right. Now, that, that correlation was something you just cannot see in SEP. And you certainly can't see it in a spreadsheet. You need something much more powerful. 
But that can see it very simply. And with the right people, uh, you can start releasing value out of your data that nobody had noticed before. So um, that's just a simple example of how you can uh, very quickly start to take advantage of those uh, more advanced capabilities. But where I get excited is when you start to, to challenge your own business processes and you start to say to people, you know, what can voice do? What, what can uh, ML do, vision? What can image recognition do for us? Customer sentiment, what can that do? And how can we build that into the way we do things? That becomes very much an industry-specific conversation, possibly even a customer-specific conversation. And it's very difficult to pick that off a shelf, but there's certainly, uh, there's certainly the art of the possible conversations which, which really ought to be happening. And it only happens once you're in cloud. It's very difficult to even understand it when you're still on-premise. So we always say to customers, like the quicker you get there, the quicker you can start the journey on things that are going to make the biggest impact to your business, Yeah, um, which will be around the processes and data. Yeah, interesting, interesting. You had me at, uh, you're not going to screw up my beer, so I'm, uh, I'm all in on uh, <laughs> the other. The other things are cool too, but that's, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a big priority. Um, you know, when you when you own the platform, it's in your data center. You you sort of own it. It's it's your it's yours, lock, stock, and barrel costs, maintenance, and so forth. You get into the cloud, and the cloud, uh, you know, AWS sort of famously says, "Hey, there's a shared responsibility here, right? We're, we're responsible for certain things. Uh, you, the customer, are responsible for certain things." How do you see that playing out? Um, you know, like you said, there is a lot of relearning that goes on, especially for for SAP uh, teams and so forth. Where do you tend to see that shared responsibility happen? And then what does Lemongrass tend to do to help, um, you know, make, make that success happen from, from the part that you own? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it spans, uh, the shared responsibility model really started with security from AWS. And it was very important to spell it out that um, they can give you all the tools to be secure. But if you decide to leave your ports wide open, that's on you, right? You've got you've got to recognize the security problem with that. Um, but it spans beyond security. It really goes into finance. Um, it goes into things like uh, architecting for availability, etc. Um, so, but what we do, um, and we our job is to is to take some of that responsibility on behalf of the customer. And we've got patterns that are proven, you know. Uh, that are best practices that we know work really well that will deal with some of those responsibilities um, uh, you know out of the box so that when it comes to for example high availability cross availability zone redundancy etc uh, we, we can spin those things up really quickly because we know all the components that go into it we've already built it automated it and it's ready to go at the press of a button so we can help customers manage security, availability, and cost. There's always a layer, of course. Um, we say to customers, you're always accountable fundamentally. You will, you should never lose that accountability as a customer for for security, and for finance, and for overall technical governance. Um, we always recommend customers keep at least some capability in house that can challenge us, because while we're a dedicated partner, and of course our business thrives on being a dedicated partner you know we're still outside the customer's company ownership right so as a company you always own your own data you always are accountable fundamentally for securing that 
and for your own spend. So um, there's a minimum layer the customer needs to keep, um, but we can fulfill a lot of that shared responsibility on behalf of the customer. Nice, nice. Yeah, and, and that's, I think that's always, like you said, with so many people sort of learning what the cloud does, it's always good to have essentially kind of a Sherpa who has, who's been there before, you know, knows knows the good things to do, the things to avoid and so forth. Um, I want to be conscious of your time. You're, you're, you're very busy. Let me, uh, let me sort of wrap up with one last question. Best way for folks to engage with you guys. What's, what's oftentimes the starting point? Do they, have they sort of made up their decision? Do they, do they, are they looking for you to sort of help them with the financials of it? What's, what's kind of the best way for, for folks to engage with your team, you know, to, to get those early successes? It, it starts just a couple of topics I've covered already today. So, you know, as you're beginning to look potentially even at well, what's my application roadmap from an ERP point of view, what are my options? We, we absolutely get involved in that discussion. Uh, a lot of times customers are looking for the, the business justification to move to AWS or another hyperscaler. And we can show them that in the context of those uh, four items I mentioned earlier, business case, operational excellence, agility, and innovation, we can help form those uh, selection criteria for a customer. So when it comes to evaluation early on, we can do that. But of course, there's things that uh, we can, the customers start with things like proof of concepts, very quick to go in with as well. We offer free proof of concepts. And then of course, um, you know, customers might just want to get started. We even have some customers who have already migrated SAP to AWS, but need help to manage it. And, and we can jump in and take over those landscapes for them as well. Yeah. Many of you seen this ramp up somewhat during COVID or, or things been about business as usual? Well, for us, it's been business as usual. I mean, we've been growing quite well through COVID. I think for our customers, there's there's always a little bit of a mixed bag depending mm-hmm. on the industry, of course. Um, interestingly, though, generally speaking, uh, we saw a little bit of a pause uh, for some customers mm-hmm. uh, who were looking at migrating maybe in quarter two this year. Um, but the but the vast majority of those then maybe in quarter three uh, took the foot off the brake and continued on with the path. So I, I get this. I suspect that there's a there's still a little bit of wait and see. I think the long term impact of COVID, I don't think we know yet. Right. Um, but, but we do know what the end point is. The end point is everybody will move their SCP systems to a hyperscaler at some point, and it, it'll probably be done by 2027. So there's an S curve happening, mm. and a delay this side of that S uh, will just make the S a lot steeper. So we expect we we. I think there's less than 10% of SAP customers have moved their core systems to to, to cloud. Um, you know, and as I said, I think that's going to be the vast majority will be done by 2027. So there's a there's a mountain of work to, to get done, and whether it gets done today or it gets done, you know, in a couple of years' time, you know, people will come back to it. Yeah, what we try to say to customers that COVID's a great time to do this stuff. Uh, if the business is a little quieter. It's an awesome time to to make some changes, um, and and pick up some slack uh, to to address something that they're going to have to face inevitably. Yeah, very very good. Ninety percent of ninety percent of the install base in basically six years. That's a that's a big lift. It's a a, a lot ahead of you. So, Eamon, thank you so much for the time today. Uh, we learned a lot. It was good to kind of get reacquainted with what's going on in the SAP community. Uh, with that, I'm going to wrap it up for myself and for Aaron, uh, folks. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Uh, We've been getting uh, lots of new followers from around the world, so we appreciate that. Welcome to the Cloudcast community. So with that, um, we're going to wrap it up, and we will talk to you next week. 
Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 